And so this morning, I want to talk to you from God's word about baptism. And if I could sum up what baptism was about in a phrase, I think I would say that it's about going public for God. Now, I'm going to explain that, but before we get to baptism, I want to give you a wider frame. I want to talk about the ordinances, because sometimes people wonder, why do we do these things that we call ordinances? Now, ordinances are often referred to as sacraments in some churches. Different churches understand sacraments or ordinances to mean different things. Uh, There are some churches where they believe that somehow the Lord's Supper and somehow baptism, those things convey some sort of saving grace to those who receive them. This is not what we believe at Southwinds. We believe that the Bible teaches that they are something different. And so we call them ordinances. And briefly defined, an ordinance is an act that Jesus ordained for the church. That's where the word ordinance comes from, the word ordained. Uh, It is an act, we believe, that is practiced in the New Testament churches. And so as we read the New Testament, what we see in the New Testament churches, we see baptism, we see the Lord's Supper, those things are taught about, those things are described, but we don't see any of the other sacraments that have been adopted down through the years by some churches. And so uh, that's why we hold that there are only two, because there are only two that we see in the New Testament. Don Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines Within the Church, gives this definition. A Christian ordinance is a ceremony that the Lord Jesus Christ has commanded to be permanently practiced by the church. Now, sometimes people want to know, why do we have these? Why did Jesus give these to us? Why isn't it enough just, you know, to believe in Jesus and worship and serve him and fellowship? Why do we have to do these things, observe these acts? And I want to explain Jesus gave these ordinances as an expression of his care for the church. The ordinances are symbols, and they are symbols of the most incredible, important truths that we can ever know. The ordinances symbolize the reality of Jesus redeeming death for sinners and the impact that it has on our lives. And Jesus gave them to us because he wants us to be reminded of how real his love is for us, how real His atoning work is for us. You can write this down. The ordinances are symbols that connect us to the reality of Christ's work on our behalf by using physical acts. In other words, they take spiritual things and they bring them clearly into the physical world. The Bible teaches that God created us as physical creatures. And Christianity actually stands out among the religions in the world in the fact that it unequivocally says our physical Bodies are good because they're created by God. The physical word is good. Yes, it is broken. Yes, sin has entered the world, but God created the world good. He created us good. And so he made us as creatures with physical bodies. We are not to despise that and look down on that. And ordinances actually affirm that by their physicality. Uh, Just think about how physical they are. The ordinances inescapably involve our senses. You, you see them with your eyes. You, you, you taste them with your mouth. You, you even hear them. Have you ever thought about that? Like when you're taking the Lord's Supper, you may listen and hear the person next to you chewing the bread. Now, some of you don't like that. Um, you think, I don't want to hear them chewing the bread. This is like supposed to be a spiritual moment for me, and they're chewing, and I hear they're chewing. And, but, but ordinances make physical what Christ has accomplished. That's actually part of the point. 
ordinances are saying to us, what Jesus has done is as real as the bread you are chewing. It's, it's as real as the water you're being baptized in. in. In the Lord's Supper, his body was broken for you. His blood was shed for you. This afternoon, when we witness baptism, you're going to hear those who are being baptized going into the water and coming out of the water. You'll hear that. You're going to see the water. If you want to, you can even touch the water. And if you're really hot, you can get all the way in the water after we're done baptizing. You know, you you can experience it. it. It's very tangible. It's very physical. And the physicality helps us to literally grab hold of the truth of the gospel. See, when you're baptized... You're reminded of what Jesus accomplished for you in salvation, that that is as real as the water you're being immersed in. That's, that's the point. And as we see and as we taste and as we feel and as we touch the ordinances, we are, we are being pointed uh, to spiritual realities that we can't, by their nature, see or touch. And so for that reason, they're not just... Uh, Rituals we do because we have to. They are meant to be deeply meaningful for us. Now, with that as background, today we're going to look at baptism, and I want to do it like this. I'm going to ask and try to answer uh, two big questions, and then we're going to address some baptism FAQs, and then after that, we're going to take a look at what I want to call some personal junk that some of us have from time to time regarding baptism. And I'm going to begin by saying that baptism is at the very core of what Jesus calls his followers to do. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus gives his final words to his disciples. And he, in those words, he institutes or he ordains the practice of baptism. We, we call these words the Great Commission. You're probably familiar with them. This is what uh, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So first big question is, well, what is baptism? Baptism is a a sacred sign. It's a symbol, and it's actually unique to the Christian faith in the way it's practiced. We first are introduced to it um, through a guy named John. You remember this in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Baptism, in fact, was so tied to him that it became his nickname. He is known as John the Baptist, because he baptized people. It was what he did as part of his ministry. Now, it's important for all of us to recognize that the Greek word baptize means literally to dip or plunge or immerse into water. See, when the Bible was using this word baptism in the Greek text of the New Testament, it wasn't a technical term. It was just a descriptive term of what was happening. Everyone knew what that meant. And that's what John did. John immersed people in water. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Now, we understand that John was a prophet sent by God, and he came to prepare the way for the coming of the Messiah. And 
in his ministry, when he called people to open their hearts to God in repentance, he taught them to mark that decision with the sign of baptism. And, and no one had ever done that before, at least not in the way that John did it. And, and actually, the uniqueness of this was intentional. God has always intended baptism to be this unique sign for people who are entering a relationship with him. It was intended from the beginning to stand out. It was intended from the beginning to be countercultural. God didn't want it to just be this ordinary thing that had always gone on, that everybody was already doing it anyway. And you might ask, well, why? Well, that's the second thing. Because baptism was a rite of initiation. It's a way that marks someone's entrance into the faith community. It was intended to reflect what had happened to you when you turned from God or to God and, and the water was reflecting the washing away of sin and the new life that, that sprang into being as a result of your forgiveness and your salvation. And then interestingly enough, Jesus came along and gave John's baptism his seal of approval by himself submitting to baptism. And if you've read the story, you know that blew John away because John knew that Jesus was like the only person in history who didn't need to be baptized. He didn't need to enter a relationship with God. He was God's son. He didn't need to repent of sins because he's the only person in history who's never committed a sin. Do you remember what happened? This is what Matthew records again in Matthew 3. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I want to rewind that. Let's think about it for a moment. Jesus obviously didn't need to be baptized to represent a beginning with God, right? But he did it anyway. Why would he do that? Well, here's why. His intent in his life on earth was to live a model life and that we would be able to follow as his example. And he wanted to make sure that everyone knew how important it was to be baptized. And so Jesus, who would later say, I want you to follow my example, he participated in baptism. So we would know this is part of what we are to do. And he set this example with this sign in a way that was very obvious, that really stood out to everyone. He set this as an example in such a way, as I mentioned earlier, that he gave baptism as part of his final commands to his followers in what we call the Great Commission. In fact, going back to that Great Commission, that final command, Jesus made it clear, a third thing, that baptism is a right for all Christ followers. You read the commission, the Great Commission. You read other parts of the New Testament. It's all very clear. We are to make disciples, and baptism is always part of disciples. And there are never, uh, discipleship, there is never any exception. That's part of why Jesus put this in his final commands. He wanted to make sure his followers really got it. And if you read the New Testament, you'll see they did. They got it. They understood. They got it loud and clear. And so from day one, as people followed Jesus, there was never an exception to someone saying, I'm going to trust Jesus and then not being baptized. In, in fact, they would have just blown their minds. They would have not even had a category for someone who said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, but I'm not going to be baptized. They just would have not been able to think about that. They would have seen that as a direct act of disobedience to the God that that person said they were following. So that's a little bit of what baptism is. But that leads to the next question, why does it matter so much? In other words, why is it important? 
And that's the second question. Baptism is important because of what it represents. Baptism represents some truths that are incredibly crucial for us to understand. Here's the first one. Baptism is a symbol that illustrates Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and our acceptance of that for our lives. I want you to listen to this paraphrase of Colossians 2.12. Going under the water was a burial of your old life. Coming up out of it was a resurrection. God raising you from the dead as he did Christ. See, this verse helps us understand why we practice baptism the way we do the way we see it practiced in the New Testament. You go down into the water, that represents uh, uh, the uh, death of Christ and our death to our old life. Uh, You go under the water, that represents Jesus' burial. And then when I baptize you, I hold you under for three days like Jesus. (laughs) You know, then you come up out of the water, not really in case some of you don't understand when I'm joking. you, you come up out of the water, that represents resurrection, the new life that God has raised you through because of the death and the burial and the resurrection of his son. See, baptism is important because it, 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 it illustrates in a very tangible way the new life that we have as a Christian. It's not just a ritual we do. It's not just something somebody randomly made up. Now, I want to say now, and I'm going to say again that We don't believe baptism makes you a Christian. It's only our faith in Christ that does that. We use an illustration quite often. If you've been in our discovery classes, you've heard it before. You've probably heard other pastors use this illustration. We we like to say that baptism is sort of like a, a wedding ring. Now, some of you have heard maybe that my daughter, Abby, got married last Sunday in St. Louis. That's why I wasn't here. Thought I'd show you some pictures just so you see. I know you've been dying to see the pictures. I look really good, don't I? (laughs) So it was a really special day. Abby got married to Chad. We like him. Um, He looks all right, you know. Um, Abby looks gorgeous, of course. I don't hardly need to say that. But as part of the wedding, Abby and Chad exchange rings, right? And why do we exchange rings? Well, rings are these outward, visible symbols of the commitment that a couple is making in their hearts. Um, A ring doesn't make you married. In fact, Some people may not have rings. Um, You know, if you have a ring and then you lose your ring, you'll still be married, right, guys? I mean, you might be dead, but you're still married (laughs) because the ring doesn't make you married. And Baptism is like that. It's a symbol visibly, tangibly, physically of this invisible, intangible spiritual reality. But then there's another reason that it's important. The Bible teaches baptism is a public test of our commitment to Jesus. You know, it's interesting. It is almost as if right at the very beginning, Jesus gives this litmus test to would-be followers. He wants to see, are you serious about following me? Baptism is like this huge built-in gut check. It's like Jesus intentionally and purposely makes this strategic ask right at the beginning. And the nature of baptism It's just such that it kind of flushes out someone who's serious about following Jesus and someone who's not. Think about it. Jesus publicly died for us on the cross. If we are serious about following him, shouldn't we be willing to publicly say, I will live for him? 
I want you to look at Mark 8, 38. This refers to, of course, more than just baptism. But Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. So baptism matters because it is when we go public. It's about when we, are, we stand up and we are counted. It's just like, are you truly serious about what you say you believe? Are, are you willing to express that commitment, not just to God in the privacy of your own heart, but publicly in front of other people? So baptism, it, it, it matters. It's really important. And I, I think that you may really get that. I actually think that in part because our 930 service is the most intelligent service we have. You guys know that, right? Don't tell 8 and 11 that I told you that, but I just want you to know that I'm aware. So I'm pretty confident you understand what I've just said. But having said that, I am sure that there are still some questions that are in your mind about, you know, things that apply to your situation or maybe the background you've come from or maybe some things you've been taught um, in another setting. And so I'm going to go through seven baptism FAQs just to help deal with some of those questions and address those. And the first one really is the most common question that gets asked, and it's this, what if I was baptized as an infant? Does that count? And the answer that we would give um, is yes and no. Now, it counts in the sense that it was a special event that your parents went through on your behalf, and nothing you do later should denigrate uh, the reflection of their love for you and their care for your faith development. But the answer is no in the sense that infant baptism is really just not the same as the baptism Jesus commanded in the New Testament. See, the baptism Jesus commanded was something to be pursued as a believer, as someone who's actually crossed that line themselves. They've made a conscious personal decision to follow Jesus. That's just what baptism is. It is the sign that God has instituted and it reflects what you yourself, not your parents, have determined and have purposed in your heart toward Christ. And, and so if that's the case, if you haven't crossed that line, then the sign or the symbol doesn't have anything really to point to. And though, therefore, it doesn't hold the meaning that Jesus intended. It, it would be sort of like You're going through a wedding ceremony before you know who it is you're going to marry. We'll tell you later. You know, just take your vows now, and then we'll match you up. Anybody want to sign up for that deal? You know, um, it, it doesn't have the connection that is intended to be there. And the reality is most churches that practice infant baptism do so with the explicit hope that one day the infants baptized, apart from their decision, will make a conscious personal decision. That's That's why they have what is usually called something like confirmation, where the child, as they're growing up, can own their faith. And that's good to have that happen. But is that really what baptism is about? That would be the question that we would ask. And so our conviction is, without attempting to denigrate different perspectives, we believe that if you have been baptized as an infant only, then you really haven't done the thing that Jesus actually calls you to do. Uh, And you look at the New Testament, baptism is always and only for people who've made individual decisions to trust Christ. And so we would uh, believe that you should be baptized after, subsequent to, uh, your decision to give your life to Christ. 
Uh, I would encourage you, if you struggle with that, to look in the New Testament and see if you can find any case in the Bible where that pattern is not followed. I don't think you will be able to. And, And so since the purpose of baptism is publicly confessing your personal commitment to Christ, if you have not been baptized in a public way as a believer following your decision to trust Christ, then the Bible would say the call of Christ on your life is that you do that. You're a believer. You've professed your faith in Christ. You've placed your trust in him. Baptism is intended to be the next step for you where you declare that in a public way, and that would be true even if you have been baptized as an infant. Now, again, let me emphasize, we understand. I know I've read and I've studied and I've conversed and you know, discussed with many people Uh, I know that thoughtful, committed Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ, disagree with this, and they have over the centuries. And so there is no attempt here to disparage those heartfelt beliefs. But this is our conviction. We believe it's a clear teaching of Scripture uh, that should be followed. Another FAQ, sort of related, um, and it's this. How much water does it take to get baptized? Now, this is a question about what uh, scholars call the mode of baptism, or or you can maybe think of the method of baptism. And again, we know, I think all of us, different churches have different practices. Some churches sprinkle water uh, on the recipient. Some churches pour water on the recipient. Others immerse. There's actually some traditions where they, they put people under the water three times, and I'll just give this to you. This is like for free, random stuff that I throw in there every once in a while. You're welcome. If you want to see something interesting, put in something like Eastern Orthodoxy priest baptizing infants three times, because Eastern Orthodox, they're Greek. They know what the word means, but they also baptize infants, and so you're going to see a priest baptizing a baby fully. It's interesting. You just got to check it out for yourself. Trust me. But, but there are some churches that baptize adult believers three times. You say, why would they do that? Well, the Trinity, once for the Father, once for the Son, once for the Holy Spirit. That's how they interpret that command. Now, here at Southwinds, you only have to go under once, all right? I have considered for certain of you... <laughs> Like four or five times, maybe. I'm thinking of Raider fans and Dodger fans and stuff like that, you know. But we only do it once. We only do it once. Although some of my elders have said to me, to make it a challenge, we want to see how long people can hold their breath. But I haven't done that, okay? (laughs) Again, we recognize different churches have different practices. We respect those. Uh, we, we don't believe that baptism brings salvation, so it's not a matter at that level. But we do think because the word baptism means immersion, because immersion is what we see practiced in the New Testament, that this is the appropriate way uh, to implement what the Bible tells us to do. This is our conviction. Now, a third FAQ I get asked quite a bit is, what if I was baptized like as a believer, so I made a decision, but it didn't really mean anything to me. In other words, I realized somewhere down the line after that that I didn't make a true decision to follow Christ. Uh, Some of you might say, you know, I was old enough to know what I was doing, but I kind of did it because my parents, you know, pressured me to do it. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand. I just want you to answer this question in your mind. How many of you got baptized, probably in a church like ours, 
after making a profession of faith, and you look back on it now and you realize, I did this mostly to please my parents. This happens often with good intentions from parents. They're not meaning to do that, but sometimes that's the result. Um, Some others of you may not have had that, but I've had people tell me something like, I got baptized because all my friends were doing it. I am going to ask you, would you raise your hand if that's happened? You realize I look back on it now and all my friends were doing it, so I just wanted to do it too to be like everybody else in my church. Did that happen for anybody here? I'm not seeing anybody. We had like two people in the first service. That kind of happens sometimes. And, And then sometimes... It's just something I thought I was supposed to do, and so I was checking it off the list, and I didn't really know. And, and so you may be here saying, what do I do now? Well, again, the point of baptism is to receive it as a sign that reflects, points back to what has already happened in your life, that you've truly trusted Christ. And so if you went through a, a baptism ceremony before, but you realize now, looking back, that I didn't become a follower of Christ until somewhere after that, then we would say you should be baptized. And it's not really being baptized again. Baptism is only true baptism when it is biblical and it, and it and it's meets the sign that Jesus has given to us. This may be something you need to talk to a pastor about to kind of sort out. Uh, feel free uh, to let us know your questions. Another question that I get a lot is, what if my baptism was real, but then over the years I kind of walked away? You know, I, I believe I trusted Christ, but... Somewhere after that, I, you know, I started falling away for whatever reason. And so you might say, now I, I, I'm back and I want to do it again. Maybe you'd put it like this. I was sincere when I was baptized before, but I know so much more now. And it, it means so much more to me now. I think I would feel better if I did it now that I understand it better. That would be cool. Would that be okay? And the answer here is kind of like another yes and no. It's yes in the sense that we do grow, and that's natural. And it's yes in the sense that when we grow, we like to mark our our growth in tangible ways. So it's kind of a normal thing to think about. But the ultimate answer is no in terms of it really being appropriate. Because baptism as a believer is intended to be a once-for-all event. And if you truly committed your life to Christ before, to repeat that really is violating what it's intended to represent even if you've walked away for a time. See, the point of baptism is about beginning. The point of baptism is about entering the relationship. I like to say baptism is for beginners. Sometimes I'll say baptism is for spiritual babies. So you shouldn't be surprised that you didn't know that much about it when you did it. It's not something that is about kind of charting the ups and downs of your spiritual journey through your life. And so whether you were baptized at 15 or at 50 as the years go by, you're probably going to look back at times and say, man, I understand so much more now than I really did back then. Um, but that's not what this sign is about. And, and again, I know some churches don't practice this. In some churches, you get baptized every couple of years. It's kind of like a recommitment. But I don't see that anywhere taught in the scriptures. And so that's not what we, we practice Uh, A fifth FAQ, does baptism guarantee getting into heaven when I die? And the clear answer here is no. Uh, God offers, the Bible is so clear on this, his salvation, his forgiveness, the gift of eternal life as a gift of free grace. It is by faith alone. It is not by works. And baptism is meant to be an expression of that trust. Baptism doesn't save you. 
Yes, some churches teach that, but they're wrong. The Bible never teaches that. And if you've been counting on the fact that you were baptized, whether like as an infant or even as an adult, whether it was by sprinkling or immersion, if you've been counting on that to get you into heaven, then you've misunderstood what, what baptism is about. And by the way, you've misunderstood what salvation is about. Again, salvation is by faith alone. It's not by works. It's by grace alone, not by works. Baptism is something that we do to express the faith that's already in our hearts. And so I'm going to encourage you, don't misunderstand the meaning of baptism. Uh, Next question. What if I'm not sure yet? See, there are going to be some of us here today, and you've not been baptized, and maybe you're in a place where you're just starting to learn about God, and maybe you're in early stages of searching and understanding who Jesus is, and you haven't made a commitment to God yet. I want to be very clear about this. The step of baptism, if this is you, if I just describe you, is not for you yet. Baptism is not something that you should do prematurely. It's not something you should do before you've actually made that faith commitment. I'm going to give you an analogy about this to hopefully clarify it. And this is uh, kind of particularly for the women who are here today. And you, guys, you, you women can answer out loud when I ask a question at the end of this, okay? So here's the analogy. Let's say that you have dated a man for two weeks. And this man is charming. He is, he is amazingly bright. He is devastatingly handsome. He looks just like George Clooney, who this summer, according to the internet, which as we all know is the repository of all truth, He was scientifically determined this summer to be the world's most handsome man. I'm not kidding. You can look it up. I just say, whatever, George Clooney, whatever. (laughs) But in addition to looking just like George Clooney, this guy is confident yet gentle. He's bold yet he's modest. He just makes it clear he is utterly smitten with you. He, He showers you with affection and with expressions of his love. He lets you know that the great longing of his heart is to always be with you. The sun rises, the sun sets for him with you. And so after two whole weeks, this guy gets down on one knee and proposes to you. He asks you to marry him. Even though all of this is true, here's the question. Are you ready? Would you marry this guy after only two weeks? Some of you are not sure. This may not need to be a whole nother message or maybe a series on this. Because I can tell there's some married women out there going, what's this guy's number? <laughs> the answer I'm looking for, the answer some of you did give clearly is no. No. Why is no the correct answer? I'll answer this one, okay? <laughs> Let me handle it. You don't enter into a commitment like that on a superficial basis. It's a serious commitment. You need to know what you're doing. And, and baptism is the public statement of a total and permanent binding commitment to God. That's why it's analogous to marriage, since marriage is intended to be a public statement of a total and permanent binding commitment to another person. And some of you are beginning this search, and you've entered this search, but you're not ready to make that commitment yet. And so baptism for you is not something that needs to be rushed because you may be right where you need to be. 
And as you're searching, I want to affirm that God's pleased that you're asking questions and you're taking him seriously by studying and learning. So don't enter this step prematurely. Entrust your life to Christ first and then get baptized. Here's the last one. Can I make it to heaven even if I say no to baptism? Now, people rarely put it in these kind of words. But sometimes people want to know, is it okay? Can I just blow baptism off and I'll still go to heaven? Maybe some of you here this morning are Christ followers, but you've never been baptized. And even though you've been taught about it, you understand what the Bible teaches, you have no plans to do so. You don't think it really matters that much. You're just kind of blowing it off. And if that's the case for you, I want to just warn you, there's some serious signs that need to be emerging for you here. You're going to have to explain this to me because I just don't get it. Jesus suffered for you. Jesus was whipped and beaten and nailed to a cross for you. He died an agonizing death for you. And he simply asks, he clearly commands all of his followers to be baptized as a way of declaring the devotion to him. So I just don't understand how how someone can know all of that and at the same time say, yeah, I'll take his blood at least enough to get me into heaven. I'll claim the name of Christian at least when I'm around the church. But when it comes to obeying him in the very first step of the Christian life and declaring my faith in him before the church and before the world, I, I think I'll take a pass. I don't get it. You're saying when it comes to the very first thing that Jesus asked a follower to do, to be baptized... You're saying, I won't do that. I'm going to defy him. That's what you're saying. And I just don't understand this train of thought. If this is where you are, I'm going to ask you to be honest with yourself. If this is the state of your heart on this, again, you've been taught, you understand. It's not that this is the first time you've ever heard this, but you've heard it before and you know what the Bible says and you've still refused to do it. Then this is a spiritual danger sign. Uh, You need to know that baptism is not a casual thing. We tend to see it that way in America because we've been so blessed with all the freedoms that we have. But baptism from the beginning of of the church has been something that was a crucial part, even though it was dangerous often to get baptized, even though baptisms often led to persecution. Do you know in the early days of the church, when the Roman government was persecuting the church, the Roman government was making the demand of all citizens that people pick their allegiance, their ultimate allegiance to Caesar. Baptism was where someone would stand up and someone would say, my ultimate allegiance is to Jesus Christ. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. He is my King. And the early Christians got baptized in that context. It was a subversive act. It was an act of civil disobedience in that society. And in many places around the world today, it's still a dangerous thing to do. I was just reading something this week. Uh, There's another pastor that I know who's on right now. He posted this on his social media. He's on a mission trip to Africa, a country in Africa. And this week, he he told a story about a woman in her 20s who professed her faith in Christ, and she was getting baptized in a river, and there were people on the riverbanks threatening her, threatening her as she got baptized. I read not too long ago um, about a man who became a Christian in spite of very severe family opposition. His family was of another religious faith, and they told him that if he got baptized, they would disown him, that he would be dead to him. And 
he wouldn't be their son anymore and he wouldn't be welcome in their home anymore and he got baptized anyway. Someone asked him about it and he said, Jesus is the Lord of my life. He suffered everything for me, so how could I not be willing to take this step and suffer for him what is by comparison very little? See, this is a very strong challenge that I want to give to any of you who claim to follow Christ, but you have chosen up to this point not to take this step. Christ commanded it. It's so clear. Christ's followers have practiced it for the whole history of the church up to our day. Many of them have practiced it when it would lead to suffering, even it would even lead to their death, and they have done it with joy. And if you can hear this, and you can understand this, and you can consider that you're still a believer, but still refuse to take this step, there's a kind of obstinate spirit in your heart. And there ought to be warning lights kind of going off. I I would even ask you, if you're refusing to do it, if you would consider Am I truly a follower of Jesus Christ? Just be honest. If I'm not willing to do the very first thing that he asked me to do, the very first test of obedience, then where is my ultimate allegiance? You see, we don't need to play games with this. It's a very serious, very serious matter. Well, we talked about what baptism means and why it's important. We've kind of answered some FAQs, but there's still a few things that are kind of hanging out there around the edge. I call it personal junk. Okay, people have personal junk. You have any personal junk? You know, you're in church. You should be honest. Everybody's got some personal junk about something. Some people have personal junk about baptism. And so we want to get it all at the table. And I'm going to give you four examples of things people wrestle with because we're honest with each other here at Southwinds. And sometimes personal junk number one, people say, I don't want to get baptized because I don't look the, like the way I look wet. <laughs> Messes up my hair. My mascara would run. My clothes would cling. My contacts might pop out. And so it's kind of like, you know, maybe could we like do a different kind of a thing, go with something, I don't know, along the lines of a light mist that I could just kind of go through and it would fall over me and that would be my baptism, you know. This is kind of a big deal for some people and we do understand and we want to do everything we can uh, to make people as comfortable as possible. But in all seriousness, we cannot dodge this for the sake of appearance. See, every aspect of the sign matters, especially immersion into water. Why? Because it's the immersion into water that represents the washing away of our sins and our death of the old life, our burial, putting that behind us, our resurrection to a new life that Christ has won for us on the cross. And that sign needs to be fully seized and fully engaged as part of the nature of the sign. So my encouragement is not to let personal vanity get in the way of obedience to Christ. Second kind of personal junk is sort of similar. Uh, sometimes people say, I don't want to get baptized because I think public baptism would be embarrassing. Now again, I understand doing something in front of people is harder for some of us than others. But again, it's right here that we need to understand the public nature of baptism is intentional. Yes, it can be awkward to stand up in front of people and be marked for your faith. 
But this is just something that has to be owned because it wouldn't be baptism if we're hiding it in a corner. It's the public nature that makes it sacred. Baptism is about going public. It's about standing up and about being counted for God in front of people. It's about saying, okay, it's official for the record. I'm not ashamed of my relationship to Christ. This is who I am. This is true of me. And so while it might be hard for us, is something that we just need to face. And I like to ask people who really honestly struggle with this sometimes to consider this question. If you say you are a follower of Christ, what you are saying is this, I am trusting Jesus to take care of my eternity. My question is, and it's an honest question, if you are trusting Jesus to take care of your eternity, do you think you can trust him to be in front of people and to be in a kind of an awkward situation for a couple of minutes? What do you think? See, Jesus is trustworthy, and you can trust him to help you through this. Now, if you're worried that you're going to have to make a speech, because in some churches they do ask people to do stuff like that, you need to know here at Southwinds that's not our practice. We don't ask you to make a speech. You will be asked a question, and that question comes in slightly different forms, but it's all about are you choosing today to profess your faith in Jesus Christ? All you have to say is yes. And you don't even have to say it super loud. You just have to say it, and that's, that is all that we ask you to do. Personal junk number three You might say, I don't want to get baptized because it's been so long since I made my decision, I'd feel stupid. And again, that's understandable, but here's the good news. Almost every baptism we have, we have people who trusted Christ, as it turns out, some time ago, and for a whole variety of reasons, they didn't get baptized way back then, but they are now. You don't need to worry about that. There will be others in the same boat with you. We're not even going to announce anything like that. And besides that, no one would care. Everyone is going to be honored to see you baptized, excited to see you baptized. They're going to applaud. They're going to rejoice with you. Hopefully that won't be an issue. Number four, I don't want to get baptized because I don't have my act together. Some people say, you know, once I get my act together, I will be there. And again, that's understandable, but I'm going to jump on this one. This is totally wrong thinking. Uh, You don't have to have your act together. In fact, that's the whole point about baptism. I've already said it. I'll say again, baptism is about starting. Baptism is about beginning. Baptism, I like to say sometimes, is for spiritual babies. That's who it's for. And the fact of the matter is this. Think about it. If everyone waited until they got their act together to get baptized, who would get baptized? Answer is nobody but Jesus, just Jesus. See, baptism is, is, is not about being mature. Baptism is about the decision to begin. It's about the life you want to live, not the life you've already lived. And that's why in the New Testament, we never see any reason for delay. In fact, you go back to the first big First public baptism in the history of the church happens on the day of Pentecost. It's in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And in fact, we're going to be there pretty soon because next Sunday we're starting a major series through the entire book of Acts. And in the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches a sermon. And then in Acts 2.41, we are told that 3,000 people got baptized on that very day. I mean, think about that. Do you think those people got their lives together, got their acts together? They had miles to go in terms of applying their faith to their personal habits, applying their faith to their marriages, applying their faith to their jobs. 
but it didn't matter. What mattered was that they had crossed the line. And that's what matters for us as well. Have we crossed the line? If you have crossed the line and you've not been baptized, then God calls you to do that. And you should do that as soon as possible. It may be impossible for one reason or another for you to do it today, but you should do it as soon as you can. We're going to have another baptism coming up soon. But if you can do it today and you haven't done it today up to this point, I would encourage you, take what you've heard from God's word seriously. Take that step today. You won't regret it. God wants to do some incredible things in your lives, and this is part of it, you following him in obedience in this way. I want to ask you now, if you'll bow your heads, we're going to pray, and our ushers are going to come forward while we're praying, and we're going to receive the Lord's Supper together. And as uh, we are praying, I want to encourage you just to be preparing your heart. The Lord's Supper is an ordinance that God has given through his son Jesus Christ to the church, wherein we remember Jesus' death on the cross for our sins. And through remembering that death, we are encouraged and strengthened in our faith. So let's pray together as we prepare to receive. Father God, we give you thanks for your son Jesus, all that he's done for us. Lord, there's no way we could ever repay you for that. And you don't ask us to repay you, Father. You ask us simply to receive the gift, the gift of grace, the gift of salvation. And so, Lord, now as those of us who have received that gift, as we participate in the Lord's Supper together, we pray that you would use this, uh, once again, taking of the bread and taking of the cup to encourage us and strengthen us in our faith. Bless this time, Father, with a sense of your presence as we remember all that you've done for us. We pray these things now in the name of Jesus and all God's people said.